Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And last month, the Jericho Appreciation Society invaded night two of PWG's Battle of Los Angeles at the Globe Theater. It was a surprise appearance that started with Danny Garcia, apparently teaming with Jonathan Gresham and Kevin Blackwood in an announced six-man tag. But then it turned into the entire Jericho Appreciation Society, including Danny, taking on Gresham, Blackwood, Evil Uno, SP Kento, and my guest today, Michael Oku. Michael and I tell the whole PWG Bola story and talk at length about Michael's start in the British wrestling scene and what he hopes to accomplish in 2023. We also break down his Rev Pro match with Will Ospreay at London's York Hall that earned five stars from the Wrestling Observer's Dave Meltzer. Michael talks about working with Will, why he thinks they have such great in-ring chemistry, what he learned from the experience, and also how much of a Jericho fanatic he was when he was a kid and how he never thought when he got on that plane from England to L.A. that he would end up working with Chris Jericho and the JAS at the Battle of Los Angeles. Michael Oku is coming up, but so is also Five Alive, Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, the fifth voyage leaving January 26, 2024, from Miami to Cozumel, Mexico. And if you saw anything on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, the four-leaf clover was absolutely insane. A huge, huge success. I might have to do a whole Talk is Jericho about that. And also, we've got some great Talk is Jericho episodes that were recorded while we were on the cruise live in front of all the Jericho cruisers. Go to chrisjerichocruise.com and sign up for the pre-sale list to get your booking time and when you can book the best cabin available on Chris Jericho's Rockin' Wrestling Rager at Sea 5 Alive, January 26th, 2024. We will see you then, and we'll see you right here as we listen to Michael Oku on Talk is Jericho. All right, so last week, big surprise appearance, the Jericho Appreciation Society at Pro Wrestling Guerrilla Battle of Los Angeles. And I'd say, what is it, Monday? So last Saturday, about a week and a day ago, I didn't even know Michael Oku. Never never uh, heard the name and didn't know the guy. And now we're uh, friends forever because we, we, we wrestled as part of the big 10-man tag at uh, PWG. And uh, it was quite the surprise for everyone involved, including you, Michael. Oh, Absolutely. The, the thing about it was that I was aware that I was going to be in a 10-man tag. The most I was told was, you're going to like who's in it. 
And I was like, oh, that's cool. There might be like a couple surprises. And I asked them, you know, I love surprises as a wrestler still. So I can't wait to, when I get to the venue on day two, to see who it is. And I'll be like, oh, it's this guy who also wrestles <laughs> on the Indies. <laughs> but then it was just such a long period of time of like hearing nothing and nobody saying anything. I was like, okay, guys, what's what's going on? And I think one person did tell me, the wrestling, wrestling JAS, including Jericho. I was like, okay. <laughs> okay. I didn't believe it. I didn't believe it until I saw you on the bus. So so tell us about that. So what happened was we, um, because it's, it was a smaller, well, it's, it's not small, it's the Globe Theater. And I wasn't aware, like, what the dressing room situation would be like and all that sort of thing. So I just got us, like, a kind of a big sprinter van, like, almost like a party bus if you're going to go out to the club or something. And I thought we could all just hang around back there and, you know, keep it a secret. Because, like, like you mentioned, I wanted it to be a secret to the fans. And I had no idea, like, if you guys had found out who was in the match or whatever. I knew that Evil Uno knew, but I didn't know if you guys did. So kind of tell us from your uh, standpoint, how were you summoned to go on to the big black bus? <laughs> <laughs> to, the, to the Jericho bus. Yeah. So I was trying to keep it a secret from myself. And then I saw that the run sheet was put on backstage at the show. And every every show will have a run sheet, even indie shows. And I was like, okay, doors are finally open for the show. I should probably ruin the surprise for myself and see who's there. And it, and it said all of my tag partners, and I saw Evil Uno, I was like, ah, Evil Uno, that's cool. <laughs> and it says versus Team Five Skulls. So I was like, oh, wow. So they're kayfabing it backstage. Now tell us the significance of the skulls, because Excalibur said something like, whenever there's a secret, they always say, like, skull or one skull or something like that. Is that kind of the idea? The most I know is that they did it last year. There was someone announced for Bowler called Philip Five Skulls. And I don't know if it was like they were keeping it a secret or they were making sure things were finalized. Right. And then they just announced, oh, Philip Five Skulls can't be here. Here is people Mike Bailey instead. So <laughs> I saw the skulls again. And I was like, oh, my God, they are keeping it a secret from everybody in the back. OK, somebody, please tell me what's going on. And I think it was Daniel Garcia that was like very young, but hell of a deep voice. which just like, you know, when you're ready, we're going to go to the bus and then we're going to go over to Magic Jericho. <laughs> I was like, okay. OK, and there we go. Head to the bus, you're there, not wearing a top, bat in hand. And I was like, well, this is, <laughs> what's going on here? Stripper pole on the bus as well. That's, not That's true, yeah, exactly. Yeah. you got to think about how I was thinking and what I was seeing the first time I met in Jericho. That's what I love about it, because it's almost like, you know, I, I worked those shows all the time back, you know, in the day. So to me, it's like, it's... I'm not thinking that I'm the godfather, but it must have been kind of like one of those things when you walk on the bus and the, the godfather's in the back with the bat. Hello. It's <laughs> <laughs> precisely that. I was like, okay, well, let's just all take a seat and let's all be, <laughs> let's act like we're all workers. So from what I recall, because like I said, it was a 10-man tag, and it's one of those ones where like it was you and, and Uno. I know Uno, and I've met Gresham before. I never met you and uh, Kento I never met and uh, Blackwood I never met. And it's always this way when you do a 10-man. It's like someone's got to start. And I think Uno was pretty good at kind of being the bridge between, like, PWG and, and AEW. Not that there was any attitude or anything. It was just like, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? And he kind of came up with some ideas. But then I remember when when it came to, like, you, you had a bunch of ideas of stuff to do with me. Like, you were right in there. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, absolutely. It's, there was 100%. 
there was like a an awkward, I think it was a nervous silence that was going on multiple times as everybody's on the bus and just like looking down. And I was like, I remember one time I just like looked at like my, my hoodie. I was like, oh, that's not <laughs> anywhere else. And then most of the little bits are just like, what's what are we doing? And then in my head, I'm like, it's Chris Jericho and The Rock. Those are the two. You could ask anyone that knows me, my brothers, my friends, fellow wrestlers. Those are the two in my <laughs> in in terms of my favorite wrestlers and inspired me to be a wrestler. So in my head, I've already got spots planned from years ago <laughs> <laughs> that I would do if I was to ever in my wildest dreams wrestle Jericho. But of course, I'm not going to act like to everybody here, hey guys, I've thought of this ages ago. Here are my ideas. So I had to just <laughs> pan it off as. You do a you do a springboard moonsault. <laughs> you did too. You're very cool. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, well, I've got this idea that I'm just thinking of right right now, and I was just like, I had it. I had the plan more. My only hope was that we do them. And what was the coolest thing about them is that you were game for all the things that I suggested. It was great. Uh, Luther used to do this all the time to young guys in Calgary. When we were like, you know, I'll, I'll give me a small package. I'll give you a small package. And I was like, what, what's a small package? How do you do that? Like, what's which one is that? And you're like, well, you know, it's just. And then you realized I was just ribbing you. I got I got it immediately, but I kept playing with it because I could tell that there's like a dry humor from you. And I and then I think there's other people being like, Michael, he doesn't know. And I was like, well, I'm British, so I love dry humor and sarcasm. <laughs> so Yeah, very, very much Canadian British humor is very similar. You know, when I grew up, it was, we had all the BBC shows on CBC, like, you know, Monty Python and Faulty Towers and all that stuff. So 70s British comedy is very much Canadian sense of humor as well. There you go. There you go. And and good news, we got the small package in the ending. We did. We figured it out. We got it going. So then the, then the match happens. And the thing was, too, and, and obviously I want to hear all about your whole bowl experience, but I remember saying on the bus, like, there's nothing we can really do in this match that's going to be bigger than us just appearing because it's such a cool moment. And it was. And, and, and the best part was I, th- I thought the match was really good, too. It's like we didn't, like, go super crazy, but we weren't in there just, you know, doing pump handle spots and you know, row, row, row your boat spots and that we actually did some pretty cool stuff as well. Well, we, we did that as well as mixing in maybe a spot that you could argue is similar to that with right when you went slow motion, which is, which is again, the best thing about what, what you asked when that was suggested to you, only thing you were concerned over is like, that gets over here. You're like, they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, and yeah. you're all in, you're all in on just going <laughs> full slow motion. Was that your suggestion for the slow motion part? No, I think that was um, Uno, right? Else. Like, yeah. Uno, I think Danny Garcia was thinking as well. It's like, man, what, what I would give for Jericho to do the slow motion spot. <laughs> and, and which, uh, from what I understand, a lot of this, you actually being part of PWG, was a lot of Danny Garcia's doing. Excalibur and I had spoken about it. And for anybody who wants to know how that even happened. So Excalibur and I had spoken about it months ago after the show. We were having some drinks and I was like, yeah, sure. I'd like to do PWG. Let's let's try and figure it out sometime. And then about a month or so ago, Danny mentioned that he's in the BOLA and that there's always this tournament. And he said, why don't you and Sammy come and we'll do a six man. And I said, why don't we make it the whole the whole gang, all eight of us and do like a 10 man and have Anna and and, and Ty and, and Jake on the outside with us as well. And I think that was kind of the cool part was the fact that the entire group showed up. And then once once I suggested to Tony Khan, and he was super excited about it. I was like, this is going to be really cool. Like This is like, an, you know, when we first started AEW, we did, a, I remember the Bucks did a few of these. And I think Kenny and I showed up at a, yeah. at a small Indian in Georgia, not to have a match, but just I think I did a run in and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we were kind of like the new company that was just showing up wherever we wanted to and kind of had this – 
street cred because of it. And I thought, well, this kind of takes us back to that, to like, no one's going to expect this and everyone's going to be talking about it. So no matter what we do in this match, it doesn't matter because they're just going to be going nuts. The fact that we're here, because it is such a cool surprise. 100%. The story was the JAS showed up, the Jericho wrestled. And what there was the statistic like, your first indie in 20 years or something like that? I think 25 years, exactly. Yeah. I think the, the, the Brian Pillman Memorial Show in 97 and 98 was in a high school gym in like Cincinnati. Oh, yeah. And those are the last two, uh, besides that one with Kenny in the, you know, just as a run in. But this match was like the, the, the first of that. So, and the place was packed, but it was great. It was like my, my friend said this would be like if Metallica showed up at a punk rock club and played a set. That's kind of what it was, it was the vibe of it for us. 100%. And I think the best part about it, in terms of the fact that all of JAS were there, the way you guys did the entrance, the way it was set up with Judas is playing. Daddy Garcia says, you know, I don't wrestle with, I don't team with wrestlers. I only team with sports entertainers. Judas starts playing and everybody's like, oh my gosh. Then one member at a time, the JAS comes out. And there's huge reactions for everyone that's coming out. You guys, yeah. TV stars, that's what happens. That's the difference between TV and not TV. Right, 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 right. And I think even though Judas is playing, even though the Jericho Appreciation Society is coming out, they're still like, all right, everybody except Jericho is here. That's <laughs> right. Cool. And then you, you you wait, you milk it like a showbiz savant and just come through the curtain. They lose their mind even more. And for a lot of the other matches, even though they're really close to the ring, the fans in the Globe Theatre. For this one, they were touching the apron the whole match. That They were not on their seats. They were stood up the entire match. And they, there was nowhere for us to move. We couldn't get out for you guys to do the pants for real. We just like, <laughs> we're stuck. We're here. Sorry. So I hadn't been out to the ring beforehand, obviously, because we got there when the show had already started to keep it a surprise. But yeah, you're right, man. Like you walk out the curtain and the ring is right there. Like there's nowhere to go. So I think a lot of it was like they would see, you know, if Daddy Magic comes out, the, the people in that vicinity directly can see. But until you get up on the ring apron, most of the of the fans can't really tell what's going on. Yeah, it was a double pop. I, I, that some There was a pop when you came through the curtain. And then when you stepped up onto the apron, then the people just was like, oh, my God, what's going on? It was, it, was, it was crazy. And just them to be on the other side of it, for me to be like, you guys haven't. That was an incredible feeling. It's so one of the reasons why wrestling's awesome, right? Surprises, surprises. That's why the, the Royal Rumble is one of the best matches ever because mm-hmm. there could just be a surprise. And people love interest music in wrestling too. It just it combines everything together <laughs> and that achieved that. What was the reaction um, after the match? What kind of feedback did you get? Personally, so I'm in the UK. When that happened in LA, it's probably happening at 3 a.m. in the morning. Yeah. All my friends are going to be waking up a few hours time to find out what's already happened. They're not seeing this as it's happening. And I, as soon as I knew it was happening, I sent a message, I think, to a couple of my friends saying, I'm not even going to tell you what's about to happen. I can't (laughs) wait for you to wake up and see it. You won't (laughs) believe it. And then all the messages come flooding through. It was actually, it's my brother's birthday (laughs) that day as well. So he wakes up. And I say happy birthday to him. I don't talk anything about it. I say happy birthday. I got you these presents, this, that, and the other. And he says, I don't even want to hear about that right now. What are you talking about? <laughs> All right, mom is shouting right now. <laughs> All these different things. So that was a kind of cool thing. But then the very funny thing to me, anytime anybody is talking about this match, 
when it comes to you wrestling, it's only you wrestling me. Mm. So there are some articles that are out there that makes it seem like you came for a surprise <laughs> singles match just against me, which I'm not going to correct them. <laughs> right, 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 I'll right. right. Yeah. Exactly. So that's so it was just an incredible. I've never experienced in terms of wrestling or anything. I've never experienced such a response in terms of just sheer volume in my life. It was cool because I saw you on Stephanie Chase's show, and, I, and like I said, you you were very good at kayfabing, like the influence that, that my career's had on yours. So I thought that was really cool. Like like you said, I never in my wildest dreams thought that I'd go to PWG and end up wrestling Chris Jericho, <laughs> which is awesome, yeah. man. Well, yeah. Only in the wildest dreams. That's only in the wildest dream that I think that happened. It's great. And yeah, and then I was already so excited for PWG for Bola. It was already an insane, mind-blowing thing that I was being part of that. And I was like, this, I really hope this weekend goes well. To say it exceeded expectations like one, I'd already felt like I'd exceeded expectations and I had like, oh, I've done exactly what I achieved to do, which was to make a name for myself, to get over. And mm. that's it. Night two is a bonus. Whatever <laughs> happens on night two is a bonus. And that exceeded night one, arguably. Valentine's Day is here. And if you're scrambling for a cool gift for your Valentine, Urban Stems has your back. Schedule your flower delivery in advance and skip the last minute disappointing grocery store flowers. Go to urbanstems.com and use promo code Jericho to get 15% off. Urban Stems is super easy. They deliver modern bouquets and unique gifts next day nationwide. I really just said next day delivery. You did not hear me wrong. We got an amazing bouquet from Urban Stems. I'm going to post it on the Talk is Jericho Twitter so you can see these flowers for yourself. Urban Stems create one-of-a-kind arrangements you won't find anywhere else, and what you see is what you get, meaning you'll receive exactly what you order from their website, modern, high-quality bouquets with the freshest flowers. They even have a 100% happiness guarantee, so if you're not happy for any reason, Urban Stems will make it right. Every Urban Stems bouquet is designed in-house, and every delivery includes a personalized note to your recipient's thoughtfully designed packaging and that 100 happiness guarantee i was talking about and they've got a great valentine's day collection so take your pick from a variety of bouquets plants and floral subscription offers at urbanstems.com and use the promo code jericho for 15 percent off that's urbanstems.com promo code jericho for 15 percent off the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it want more helpful tips like this go to keepitfunohio.com for games quizzes and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand It's interesting to me because I love the PWG vibe in that even to this day, there's so many guys on the show that are untapped talent. And you would think in this day and age, okay, everyone's signed already. WWE signed them all. AEW signed them all. NXT UK, NXT Lithuania. Like, there's nowhere left to go. I asked Excalibur because we didn't even really know who we were wrestling until a couple days before because he had a couple different ideas. And there's like, well... Who do you got? And so he mentioned your name. And like I said, Kevin Blackwood and Kento. And all three of you guys were, were, were excellent. As, of course, Uno is always great and, and Gresham is great. So to see like three guys and there was a whole card full 
that I hadn't heard of that are excellent. That's what I love about PWG. The, the, the Excalibur and Super Dragon find you guys and bring you in. So how did you end up getting contacted to come to BOLA in the first place? Because this was your first one, correct? Your first PWG show? 100%. PWG, both PWG debutantes. And um, the crazy thing was, it was an email. I had had, so last year, I had had a really big match with Will Ospreay at this, in January. In England at RevPro? Yes, yeah, so RevPro, yeah, correct, uh, York Hall, and it got so much buzz. It was the same day as the Rumble as well, and I remember people being very disappointed at the Rumble, and people being like, I'm so glad I went to RevPro, and this, and that. and it was getting so much buzz from just people talking about the match. We went 40 minutes, it involved like members of my family, this, that, and the other, both bleeding, all this stuff. Dave Meltzer, the night of, just from people talking about it, being like, where can I watch Osprey versus Oku? Mm. I was like, holy moly, okay, this is, people are paying attention say what you want about Dave, but like he rated it five stars when he actually got to watching it. For a guy like me, who is, like you said, it's a huge. relative unknown, it's, it's a really big thing and it really put more of a spotlight on me and I, and I really credit the match as well as him saying so many good things about it that helped me later on that year go to Dallas during Mania Weekend and get a few matches there. Debut for New Japan in their, um, when they did the UK show. But then I was in my head thinking, well, you know what? Wrestling is that thing where there's a lot of things based off luck. It's such a big thing that happened that it, nothing may ever happen that big to me again. Let me just be pessimistic and hope that like I can enjoy that that happens. The New Year's coming, whatever. Then I just get an email, and this is about in end of November, December time, and it just says, "Hey, this is you know Danny from PWG. I'd like to book you for Bola." Then I'm in hysterics. And I also don't believe that it's real. So I have to go and ask some people who have Russell PWG, is this a real email? Who is Danny? All these things. So when I found out it was real, I was like, let's do this. Um, everything got booked. Everything got uh, finalized. It just felt like out of nowhere, the tournament came. I was the first one announced as well, which was a very cool thing. Just a notch in the head. But then at the same time, the combination of people being happy for me, there's also a combination of just a small, but you see it sometimes of people being like, who? Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, all right, this is exciting. I have to. I'm going to show you who. I have to. I have to show you who. I have to show you who. And and that's even a weirder thing as well because I got to the venue. I decided to kind of actually be out there before night one at the show, like before the sh the show, doing some merch. I'm telling you, four different people came up to me, just said to me, "Never heard of you in my life, <laughs> but I've heard good things. No pressure." <laughs> right. just like, Gee, thanks right <laughs> you're wrestling uh as well you're wrestling kanosuke takeshita so did you when did you when did you find that out when you got there um on twitter they put out the round one uh matches and that's when i found out it was me versus takeshita i was like wow that's huge yeah that's great for so many reasons because he's the talk of the town like right he probably ended 22 as like one of the hottest wrestlers in the world and he is just incredible so i was like this is this is a great match for me it gives me that opportunity to show people what I've got. But at the same time, there was that worry of he's so popular that am I just going to be a guy in the ring with Takeshita, who I think was one of the favorites. It was him and Speedball who were the two favorites, in my opinion, from what it sounded like. Yeah, you're, well, you're right, for sure. Absolutely. So my, my big task was like not to be like eating alive. Not that he was going to, but like maybe even alive by the crowd in the right. sense that like we don't care about who you are. We want to see him win. That was the challenge of the match, really, to try and like make sure that they remembered me. Well, and that's what happened because you did get a great buzz. And like you said, with Takeshita, 
and that's done by design. Obviously, they're putting you in that position because they want to spotlight you as well. So I'd have to say with the Takeshita match and then with the JAS match, it's like I think you came out of there as one of the – you mentioned talk of the town, and you weren't in the final, but I'd have to say you, you were one of the guys that was discussed in the mix of, of guys who had more, the best weekend for sure in L.A., Oh, 100%. It feels to me, it feels like I had the best week. I said the best week in my life because, again, I couldn't have anticipated the things that happened. And it's one of those examples. But actually, with my career and I guess my character is essentially just an underdog babyface. Most of the times I've gone over during my career, again, at RevPro, have been in defeat. I haven't won a lot of matches, but it's what I do in the matches and what I think I was able to achieve in that match with Takeshita, who, as soon as he came out, was people were roaring for him and just dying for him to beat me. There were people who were who had turned, I'd flipped them, not to boo Takeshita, but to really be behind me and hoping that I was going to win and even thinking that I was going to win. So for that to happen, for people to say that might have been the best match on night one, to then wrestling yourself and the rest of JAS, yeah, I feel like I really like came out of that weekend a winner. Well, and as you know, winning and losing and wrestling really doesn't make a difference. It's just how how you make an impact and, and you know the performances that you put on. So that's everything in, in this in this job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, th- there's been times where other people in wrestling have said to me, like, you know, well, you know, this they're just bringing you in to lose. You've got some kind of buzz around you, and they want to bring you in so their guy can beat you. And I'm like, well, that's fine. Well, <laughs> if they can get that buzz from beating me, and yeah. that's fine. But I don't I don't think I'm going to be hurt from losing. I'm going to try and have a good match. You know, if, if you're on weekly TV and you lose every week, I mean, that's a different story. Maybe look at Takeshita in AW. I, I'm not sure if he's won a, a match yet. Yes. doesn't matter because when he does, it's going to tear the roof down. But I mean, for you working on indies, you know, they're bringing you in just to lose. Well, it's like, yeah, well, you know, um, they're bringing me in because they know I'm going to put on a great match. It builds my name. That's what it's all about at this point in time for you. 100%. 100%. And I think maybe even you're an example. Again, you've, you still want it. You, I mean, winning and losing can be used so well in terms of booking, and you you still want it to be a useful tool. And you you've had like the two matches with you know Action Andretti and then Ricky Starks. But like you're a guy that's known that isn't known for like always winning and being on winning streaks. Right. But it's still able to be a big deal if you're beaten, and that and that's something that I want to achieve as well. And, and again, on a way smaller scale, on the indies in the UK and in London. I'm able to still have that thing where like beating me is like kind of a big deal. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So you mentioned that you were in Dallas for, for Mania. Have you, have you done a lot of shows in, in the States? Not many. So that would have been the second time I went to the States. Okay. And then I came again uh, later on that year for a promotion called Garden State in New Jersey. But for, for Mania, that was like a really like cool experience because being brought over to like wrestle a bunch of people. I wrestled uh, Rich Swan defending the, uh, the Rev Pro Cruiserweight title against him at a show. But then, you know, again, like it's, I can't pretend as I'm not a fan. Like there are so many 
wrestlers who I've been watching or legends or just people I want to wrestle in the future that like you're bumping shoulders with. And and I got to meet Ric Flair, got a photo with him. I just said, I have to. Just <laughs> jumped in. I said, Rick, I need to take a photo, please. And then uh, I had a chat with William Regal as well, you know, and it's just like, that's a really cool thing. And then I made sure that like, you know what, I'm going to watch. I'm going to go to watch Mania because I'm here from, I'm a kid from London. And Mania is the thing I've always watched. Let me not be like, oh, well, I'm a wrestler. <laughs> I'm not going to bite. Oh, yeah. No way. <laughs> Let me go to Mania, especially the one that had Austin in the main event. I'm going to be an idiot if I don't go because I've got like stupid pride. So, yeah, I, that was a crazy experience. I got to wrestle so many, so many people there. And a lot of them were in Bola this year. So, like, the, the cooler thing as well is making those connections with people who then I then see later on down the line, sometimes in months away or, or even a year away. Obviously, you mentioned that you're from London. We can tell from from your accent. So, first of all, what's the scene over there like right now? Because once again, pre-pandemic, the indie scene in the states and I believe in in England was 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 really popping. Has it gotten back to that yet? I wouldn't say it's reached the heights that like it was when there was a real like a boom. We, we really call it the British wrestling boom because I want to say that was from like 2015, maybe even earlier to let's say 2018 because that was when like icw in scotland were doing like hydro the hydro like, right right i remember if you see a footage of it of like a grado wrestling drew mcintyre it doesn't look like an indie show it looks like a big time billion dollar company is putting on a wrestling show well there's thousands of people there it, exactly and and uh progress wrestling in 2018 did wembley arena as well so i would say those were the, the big times and then Things started to slowly go down a bit when NXT UK came along and started to say, you can't work here, you can't work there. You know, people are getting jobs, so that's one thing and another. So a rebuilding phase kind of entered in 2019 and 2020, and that was really my come up, where I was like, listen, I don't care if it's via attrition. I'm going to take these opportunities that are now gone. I'm going to take these spots that are now gone and, and like try and prove myself. So I would say that 2019, 2020 were like the rebuilding phases and then the pandemic hit. So it's almost like we entered when we came back to live shows, a re rebuilding phase, so to speak, when it comes to the scene. Right. By the end of 2022, I would say that we, we've gotten to a really healthy state. Again, still not the levels that we were, but I think we're in a really heavy, uh, healthy state where there's like a new crop of guys that people are big fans of. They're all very young. They're all like in their early 20s or not even 20, which is crazy. The fans are getting behind. The promoters are getting behind. And we're starting to see those guys, you know, travel and branch out. And, and I would like to say that, like, I'm at the forefront of that and helping people be like, well, look, I'm a wrestler in the UK. I promise you there's more wrestlers like me. I'd argue some are even better than me that are right there ready to break out. Well, and that's what you need. I mean, the business is, is a star-driven business. And I think one of the things that was great over the last few years, and you even mentioned, is that when Osprey comes back, I think that that pops a house. Zack Sabre Jr. is becoming such a big name. Obviously, those are homegrown guys. So it's good to have those guys out there. And then guys like yourself starting to, to be the next wave of, of what, what Zack and Will are doing. There's something that like... Uh... Andy Quilden, who's the promoter of Rev Pro, has said, uh, he was saying it before the boom even ended. He said, I reckon that the UK fans are taking what we have for granted because honestly, like week in, week out, you can go to any show in any random part of the country. It doesn't have to just be like a main town like London or Manchester. It could be Cleethorpes. And you can actually see 
world-class talents, world-class imports as well. And I think that's a big part of it as well. Like a lot of American indie names would be coming over. Of course, New Japan was doing a lot of shows with RevPro. And these were like people you're seeing on a basis. Like the fact that you can go to a venue that gets a thousand people, sometimes doesn't get a thousand people. And you could see Okada Tanahashi while they're in their primes wrestle. When that wasn't the case anymore, people were like, oh, well, this sucks then. Every wrestling sucks. And it's like, well, it doesn't suck. It's just, it was not going to be the level of the world-class talent you had. The the thing that Andy was saying is that, like, it seems that you need to kind of leave to be appreciated. And something that definitely happened is that Will and and Zach and a few others were there being super-duper talented. But it was only when they went to the Japan tours that the UK were like, oh, man oh, here's our guys. We're so happy to see them. And that's when they became more like of a commodity for the UK scene. And again, like, that's what I'm kind of hoping to be coming up in these next few years. So when did you start wrestling? Um, where did you train? So yeah, I started in 2017. Oh, wow. So only five years coming on six years. So that weekend of Bola was like the, the six year anniversary to the day of when I first started <laughs> training. So it's all... Let's, happy anniversary. <laughs> it's crazy, right? So yeah, uh, so Progress Wrestling had a training school and that's where I started my journey. I think I found them just because I was like, I'd heard of Progress Wrestling. I wasn't properly following the UK indie scene that much, but I had seen a clip of like a rabid crowd. There was like a cash-in because every indie promotion had a briefcase. <laughs> then um, My invention, my invention. You did it. This is your, your fault. <laughs> and they also had a clip of like William Regal being at the show. And I was like, what is William Regal doing at a show in North London, which is just down the road from me? So I found out about Progress. I found out I had a school. And as soon as I signed up, as happenstance would have it, they announced the UK tournament. And there was like people from the school that were in the tournament. And there was people attached to Progress that were going to be in the tournament. So I was like, oh, okay, I've gone to the right place and maybe at the right time. Um, Eddie Dennis was my my main trainer and he um still is kind of like a mentor to me to this day he was he was in NXT UK and was like real good friends with like Pete Dunne and Mark Andrews they went down the roads with them so he's got so much knowledge from 2017 that was when I started and then like a, f- a few months after I started training like five months I had my first match of progress and things just really were going at like a really fast pace the only thing that was slowed me down was i had some some injuries in 2018 like i broke both my wrists which wasn't fun oh wow <laughs> and i was just how'd you do that it happened at two different times one was and this is probably maybe the the problem with being green is like i was trying to grab the waist when i was uh someone was snatching a headlock and their whole body went on my wrist and it just snapped and then the match got stopped and then the second time was in uh was in Italy from a match. I slipped off the top rope doing a moonsault. And I was like, oh, I'm going to fall on my neck. Let me put my hands down. Oh, shit. And there's the other there's the other wrist. So they weren't broke at the same time. No, no. But it was all at the start of the 2018. Oh, my so gosh. Like, I, I, wasn't, I, had, I had working hands. <laughs> the, the beginning of like 2018, like the first six months, I was just out of commission. But what was cool was that like, later on that year, I was able to like get back into the ring. I wrestled for progress again. I got to wrestle at Wembley. And like again... When I wrestled there, it was a pre-show battle royal. But for a guy who's been wrestling for a year, that's that's everything. It's huge, yeah. And then I debuted for Red Pro as well, which really is the company that really gave me everything in the big matches and, and took my career to the next level. Who was the main event for progress at Wembley? Because that's a big room. That would have been a Tyler Bate versus Walter or Gunther, the Scrum Champ. Oh, okay. So that was that was the independent show of Walter versus Tyler Bate. Wow. 
yes, yes, that's the first time it happened there. And it was just like, and it was incredible. It looked so much. There's a photo that was taken by a, a, a photographer called James Musselwhite. And it looks like the modern Hogan versus Andre. It really, really does. And it was a great match as well. But the show overran like most indie shows do. So a lot of people missed it. <laughs> just like a, a crazy thing to happen in your biggest show ever. But yeah, that was what I was around at the time. I was kind of like, I started as the boom was in full force and starting to kind of wane down, which is where I like saw my opportunity to like swoop in and try and like make a name for myself. So wrestling's always been big in England, WWE. I mean, the AWs huge right now. So did you grow up as a wrestling fan? Oh, yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, so I'm the youngest in my family. And it is really that thing of like, um, as far as I can remember, there was wrestling on TV. I can't say oh, this is the moment that I said I'm going to be a wrestler. I remember this. I remember being sent to bed to not watch Sean Michael versus the Undertaker hand in the cell, which must mean they did it a good job because that was the first ever one. So they must have done a good job <laughs> selling it as a very violent <laughs> match to my parents that they were like, you can't watch this. <laughs> Everything from um, because I had older like an older brother, there were like some spotty memories of stuff before '99. But like from 99 onwards, I, that's where like all my memories from wrestling kind of begin. So how old are you now? So I'm 29. So when you started, you were 23, which is, is young. But but did you have another plan for your life prior to that? Because, you know, I started at 19. So did what, what made you finally just start when you when you were 23? I was just kind of like in a, uh, a weird crossroads in my life, honestly. Like I had just uh, I was doing uni and the way you, there's like a student loan of uni. I tried to take a gap year. But and they said yes, you could take a gap year. But then they paid for it, as in like they they count it as a year of uni. So for me to like do another extra year, my final year of university, which I was doing computer science while I was studying, I'd have to pay like nine grand to like complete. And I was like, well, I don't have that, so I guess I can't complete my degree. And then I was working as well, like in 2016, I was working in Burger King, and I was like, this is not what I pictured for myself at all in my life. And I just really had to step back and think to myself, what is it that I actually want to do with my life? And I think in my head, I always knew I want to wrestle. I want to try it. But I think I also not, I just don't want to try it like as a bucket list thing. I, I think I can be good at it. So let me actually try it. That was kind of where my head was. At. I was like, I didn't really have a proper plan if it didn't work out, but I was, so it was very much like, I'm just going to go all in on this and, in the first session, we did do back bumps. I was like, okay, I see every wrestler walking funny. When they're older, there's all these problems. If this hurts too much, then this will tell me whether or not I want to do this. And once I fell, I was like, I can live with whatever pain this is going to give me. Because <laughs> this, this is pretty cool. But you had that belief inside. Because I had it too when I first started out for no real reason other than I think I can do this. Why did you think you could do this? I had an acting background. I wouldn't. I didn't. I wasn't trained anywhere. I was doing some acting, so I always kind of felt like, like I was a performer. Any, I was performing on shows, so I had that confidence in me that I could perform. Right. But also, I was very athletic. Like I played sports in school. Nothing to a professional degree at all. For some reason, one of the modules that we had in my school was trampolining. Mm. So we we got to learn trampolining for like a few months, and when the teacher leaves, like. Oh, you don't get to do the cool stuff in the teachers. It's just like you <laughs> seated right. stuff. Like you just jump up and then you basically do a leg drop. When the teacher would leave, that's when I'm trying to do like moonsaults and flips and this and the other. So when I knew I could do that, I was like, okay, I could do this. And then also my older brother, maybe my older brother is probably my, my original trainer because obviously <laughs> at home, 
you're wrestling each other. If you're big wrestling fans, you're wrestling each other. And it's so weird because I feel like even at a very young age, we weren't just shooting on each other. We were trying to like, we wouldn't say who's winning, but we were trying like, you know, <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing, but we we're like, yeah. we we're doing all these things. So like, um, I felt like I knew like the, the mechanics and how to move around. And I was weirdly obsessed with like any kind of, behind the scenes video i loved tough enough i was like Whoa. i know tough enough is not the real representation of like what it is like to be a wrestler i was like oh, i can do that I can. <laughs> not the like running like not like chasing i know there was like some toughness season where you had to like chase a truck in the mud the actual like all the stuff of like what was hard about it i was like i can i can do this i can i'm i'm, I'm figuring out this and i was always attracted to the shoot interviews and the inner workings and like all just learning about it that i was like i think i've got a, a grasp of what it would take and i'm ready to learn how to actually do it so so all those things combined was like what made me think i think this is what i'm i can do and what i'm supposed to do the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well so set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So besides the trips to the States, have you gone anywhere else other than England? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've traveled um, quite a bit around Europe. There's a lot of promotions in Europe that I've gone to. I've gone to, as I said, Italy. I've gone to Spain. I'll, I'll be going to Spain again next month. Austria. It feels. I feel like that's the most random one, just of, of a sounding country. But then again, that's where Walter's from, so maybe not. Oh, yeah, Austria used to be a big wrestling company with Otto Vance. They used to run there every, I think, six months out of the year. They were in Vienna and Graz. Oh, that's it. That's the, well, that's where I need to go next. I think there's a place yeah. called Osterich that that's where I go to. <laughs> but yeah, just loads of countries around uh, Europe. I don't think outside of Europe. I think the only place I've been to is America. You haven't been to, you mentioned you work for New Japan, but only in the UK. So you haven't been to Japan yet? I haven't been to Japan. I haven't been to Japan. That would be like, that's kind of like a goal. That's like a thing on my list of like, I was all in on New Japan in like 2012. I watched Minoru Suzuki versus Tanahashi. They had a match that was just incredible. I was like, okay, I'm all in on New Japan. I watched a few things from before then. But that was what got me like to be a, a regular watcher. And then again, a crazy thing. Ten years later, I get to wrestle Suzuki, which is a cool thing. Oh, where'd you where'd you wrestle him? So that was that was Ref Pro. You're cool. And again, last minute thing as well because it was supposed to be Minoru Suzuki versus Will Ospreay, but Will got a kidney infection and got real sick. Got real sick. Yeah, couldn't do the show. And the promoter is like, can I call you, mate? M middle of the night, and it's like, you're gonna have to. I think you're the person that makes the SS wrestle Suzuki. And I already have a match earlier that night. So I'm, I've got this match and he says, I was like, okay, fine. I'll wrestle Suzuki. I'm nervous, but I'll do it instead. Who will Connor Mills wrestle instead? Who I was going to wrestle? He's like, oh no, you're going to do both matches. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, oh, sweet, sweet. No worries. No problem. But yeah, long story short, Japan is another destination I want to get to. How did you, how was it working with Suzuki? Oh, it's great. It's a, another guy who, like, he makes you think that he might not be up for for a lot of things, but he's... He gets it, right? He, he gets it is probably the best way to say it. he's a pro. He watched my match with Mills that I had earlier in the night, and then it, he got excited and had more ideas of what we could do. Again, for the UK fans who, like, before the pandemic, they were so used to, like, someone like Suzuki coming over a few times a year. This was their first time seeing him live in years. 
So they were so ready and so excited to see him that really the, we could do no wrong. We just needed to give them Suzuki and that was it. But like at the same time, I'm so satisfied with what we were able to do in the match. When did you, I guess, when you first started, obviously you're very green and, and you're working around England. What were kind of the first few times when you really learned something important to where you're like, oh, okay. Like I know for a couple of times for me, like early on, I would wrestle with somebody that was higher up the chain than me and realize, oh, it doesn't have to be so hard. It's very easy. Like for you, was there certain moments like that? There's multiple moments where I say, I've said to myself and I've said to people, oh, we make wrestling so much harder for ourselves than we need to be. <laughs> yeah exactly one one of like those like i always i call it like a breakthrough i like to call it like a like a little wrestling breakthrough that's what i'm looking for yeah breakthrough so i was given a match against uh pack in 2019 you know he's he's fresh off uh wwe he's just started to do some uh indies he's did dragon gate in japan i think he was a dragon gate champ as well at the time that we wrestled and that was the first time that i had wrestled someone of that magnitude number one but number two something i learned he's the best guy to like make me figure it out is you get told slow down <laughs> everybody knows the term slow down but when i actually got to wrestle him and i was like oh my god he's slow too that's when i was like that's it that's it the guy who in my head was like everything is like boom 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 right actually everything between the explosive stuff is so calculated and so so slow and so like precise he he really kind of taught me that and he also taught me about like to create moments from any situation like even if you haven't actively thought about let's just say tackle drop down leapfrog hip toss there's a moment in there that you can find and like create it from every single part of a match or different moments in the match and he really really taught me about that he called it like the main event style as well yeah i think he learned i'd say maybe in nxt that was really what then i learned and then i started to then to a smaller scale, I'm like, guys, I'm learning all this information. Let me give it to you. Let me learn it from these guys. And, and that was like my first big match that really like got a few people paying attention to me as well. One of the one of the best lessons is that you just have to pay attention to what's going on within the match and not really worry about what the spot is. Like I was thinking even the other day at Bola, when I think it was with you, was it with you, where Daddy Magic was hitting you and when they got to, he was hit you 10 times. And when they got to eight, they said Ocho, but they didn't have time to say Ocho because he went right to nine ten. right? That was with you, right? It was me. Yeah. So then I, then I tagged in and I did the slow punches so that when they hit eight, they could say Ocho. Yeah. And it's like, that's all they want to do. Like we could do this 15 times in a row if we want. Yeah, literally. Everybody could add a turn and it would have been fine. Yeah. Nothing to it at all. Or I remember Uno with the slap. We did something. I said, okay, oh, that slap go. Okay, slap me. And the big reaction that's what wrestling is, is just like, oh, they're going to react to a slap. They want to say Ocho. They've seen 15 Tope Con Hilos. So, okay, what else can we do? Well, how about just do 10 punches in the corner, just slower? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just slower. And then we don't even have to complete them because <laughs> another word is over. And there's so much stuff with that. And, and I'd even say that part of that is also attuned to like my finisher as well. Like, me really committing to my finisher being a half Boston crab. Right. Everybody was like, what? Like, especially on the indie scene, they're like, is that it? Is that all you want to do? Like, I'm like, yeah. And, but part of that wasn't just because of like, um, and my, my thinking was a, there's actually loads of ways to get into it and get out of it. 
there's so many out of nowhere stuff that yourself and I'd even say like Kurt Angle and, and Benoit that did with submissions that really it was like, Lance Storm's finish too, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely, of course. And I've done the roll through so many times as well because of him. But then I just thought like if I can get this thing that's it's relatively easy to put on over, then they won't see anything else coming up that if I do anything big like dives or or stuff from the top, they won't see that coming. Stuff like that and then get, just turning over and sitting on someone. For that to get the loudest reaction, they can wheel me out when I'm 80 and I can still do that and they'll be they'll be clamoring for it, which is the idea. No, I mean, the, the best finishes are ones you can put on anybody and do anywhere. I think the single crab is so easy. It's just like that's why I started doing the Judas effect. Like, let me think of something new, but I have to be able to do it to, to Rey Mysterio and you have to be able to do it to Paul White. Like, that's the rule. And if you can do that, then you've got a great finish. If not, you know, if it's a, if it's a Death Valley driver and unless you're John Cena, you're not giving that to the big show. You know, you're not giving that to Satinam Singh. You just, it's just too big, right? It just can't happen. And I remember, I remember the video that you did for the Judas Effect, the one in the MMA gym. Mm-hmm. The thing is, you do like a lot of comedy. So I was like, all right, he's saying he's going to do an elbow. All right, mm-hmm. cool. And then I, I guess you debuted it against Kenny. It's Kenny, yeah. And once you hit it, Everybody kind of knew. Only once you hit it, everybody's like, oh, no. And I started laughing. I was like, he's just future-proofed his career at like 20 more years, number one. Because <laughs> he just got back up over. And uh, that, that's kind of the, the thought process that I think everybody needs to have as soon as possible. Well, once again, I got that idea from Great Muda. When, when the moonsault started tearing his knees apart, was he do a shining wizard, a jumping knee? Yeah. It's so easy. But once you beat a couple guys with it, then suddenly it's over, and that's what wrestling's all about. 100%. And he was able to use it as early as a couple weeks ago, you know? And he'll do it again, like, yeah. when he's got his final his final bye-bye, as it's called. Final bye-bye. It's a great name. <laughs> it's such a great Japanese-English name, right? <laughs> yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So let's talk a little bit more about the Osprey match. How did that come about? Because I, I heard about that. That's the first time I heard your name. But Will's, you know, shitting out five-star matches with, with anybody, but you still have to hold up your end, end as well. 100%. So the idea, from what I understand, was that we already had a match. We already had a singles match before that big match. It was in Southampton, a small nightclub in Southampton called the 1865. And we've played there before. Fozzie's played really? there, yeah. <laughs> years and years ago, yeah. Oh, well, there we go. <laughs> that ha- So that was where the match was, just because... So this would have been near the end of 2021. Promoter Andy was like, I just want to put this match on because I think it'll be really good. And knowing Osprey's trajectory, don't know when I might be able to put this match on again. So we're just going to quickly do it now while we still got a chance. And the match went really well. It was champ versus champ at the time. Like I was cruiserweight champ, he was heavyweight champ, and he think he had the IWGP champ as well. He had so many belts and it went so well. It went to um, a ref stoppage where he kept giving me his hidden blades it left it open-ended and it was enough for the promoter to be like, this can be a rematch done at your call and I need an opponent for the next your call in, in the, the coming up 
in January. So I was like, okay, let's go for it. But mm. we were just thinking, okay, well, that match went really well. We need to top it. How do we top it? And again, I think I've been taught, you can try and find bigger moves or like, you know, call the high spots. But the thing that can't be topped is drama. We, you can't overtake drama. So we had my family involved where like he did a promo before the show and with Stephanie Chase in the ring and just being like, he bought my like my mom and my brother, and my girlfriend, Amira, front row tickets to come and see me. And then like we do this heated promo to build it that he put online for you on free on, on YouTube because it went so well. They're like, okay, bring your family members. I'm also doing this feud with my tag team partner, Connor Mills. He's my best friend. And there's always been tension and people, the fans can see there's tension. And he comes out with a towel, which he's never done. We do a lot of playing on the towel, but then also there's a step being like, there are no ref stoppages because my whole thing was like, if the ref didn't stop the match, I was still in the fight. I promise you. Mm. We have this crazy moment at the end where like Mills wants to throw in the towel, but I tell him not to. Then he gives it to my girlfriend, Amira. And then there's more hidden blades picking me up, hidden blades picking me up, hidden blades picking me up. <laughs> she finally throws in the towel, but everybody's like, wait, what, then, what happens? And the ref's like, there's no ref stoppages. Even though you threw in the towel, I can't do anything. And then Will finishes me off. And it's just like the ultimate like heel performance from Will and as, bit, as best a babyface I could be, again, with all these elements with my family and my friends there to be like supporting me that the crowd were like dying by every near fall and every little bit of drama. That's kind of how it came about. That's, that's how the match went. What's crazy about it is again, Will had that incredible year, five-star matches out of his asshole or every <laughs> month it's sent like, but I would still get, I would get messages or get mentioned in tweets being like, I don't care. This is still my favorite match of the year. And I think it's because storytelling wise, it was something that no other match of his, but I'd say some some of the whole year in all of wrestling had been able to do it. I'll, I'll hang my hat on that. The fact that that's like, we achieved so much storytelling wise that like it made people, you mix that with Will Ospreay's alien athleticism, then it was something really, really special that like, I don't know if I'll be able to replicate that in ring, but there was a great, great, great atmosphere at your call that day. That's a great learning experience for you too. Oh, 100%. And what was crazy about it is that we felt like we were on the same wavelength. We were, it felt like we were on the same wavelength with how we wanted the match to go and these ideas. And the thing is, again, like with Will, like, again, he's done so much in his career. But what's weird is that we're the same age. Right. So, but we also means that we gained, we grew up on the same wrestling. The wrestling we grew up on, it, it was full of drama and full of all the crazy storylines. But like, people don't think that that's what Will likes, but he loves that stuff. He loves the drama. He loves all of that. So we were able to like, collaborate on such cool stuff as well as the promoter the promoter's favorite wrestler of all time is bret hart so there was a lot of like nods to some stuff from a lot of brett's feuds especially with brett and owen with myself and then my tag partner mills that he threw into this match as well as the towel as well as my there was talk there was an idea of having my mum throw in the towel oh the same way the same way it happened with back then with brett. <laughs> yeah 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 but, um, but we thought it made more sense if my girlfriend, Amira, who's also a wrestler and in the business, did something at the right time. That's how much of a fan that Andy is of Brett, that he was like, wanted to do it like step by step, exactly how it happened to Brett. And I was like, we can't, we have to change it at all. <laughs> I always love the, the progression of, of young wrestlers because we're all the same. I remember Nick Bockwinkle telling me in 1991 or 1992, you do way too much. You move too fast. You're really good, but you move too fast. You're like, whatever. 
And then you realize, like, oh my gosh, Nick Bockle was right. You know, this guy's right. Bret Hart's right. Chris Jericho's right. So you're you're nailing it, man. The, the the moves are fine, but it's the drama and the connection with the audience is the most important thing about wrestling. I don't care who you are or what you do. Osprey knows it. Kenny knows it. Shawn Michaels knows it. I know it. You know, like that's all that matters. So when you get those moments, like you said, that's more important than any 450 splash you could ever do. A hundred percent that. That's something that like I've I've been trying to I got taught again from all these wrestlers I got to wrestle at such a like a an early point in my career. Even I'm trying to say it, like of course, like now people come to me asking for feedback because of things I've done or people I've wrestled. Mm-hmm. In a weird way, it's it will always happen with generation. It's like, oh, this is what they mean by slow down. I don't mean don't do the cool moves. This is how you place them and this is where you do them or what you do before you do it. It's because we all like again, even yourself, like you you were coming up with, you know, or taking or using the, the coolest moves at the time. But you still had to like, then once you figured out where to put them in matches, that's what allows you to steal them to this day. And, and I'm trying to tell them the same thing. Like if you can find where to put them, you combine those things together of the craziest moves with the best timing, the best storytelling. That's where you get the six and a quarter star matches. <laughs> what does uh, OJMO stand for? So OJMO. So my name is Oku Abasi. It's a Nigerian name. Junior is what my family calls me because I'm the youngest, then Michael Oku is is the rest of it. But the reason I decided to use that was because my older brother, his favorite wrestler is Bret Hart. Favorite wrestler of all time. When I was younger, and I'm talking like I'm four, I don't have really any real memories of what's on TV properly. We would play the video games. And I remember more from the video games. Like we had like a video game from 98. I remember more stuff in the video game than I did from actual WWF that was on TV you could do the the cool sick tornado tag matches and what the match that we would always do with on without non-stop would do brothers versus brothers obviously bret hart and owen hart against the undertaker and kane <laughs> and because i was the younger brother i was like well i'll be owen hart so i was always choosing owen and then when i'd watch him in tv i was like oh it's great oh it's <laughs> owen's funny i remember him being like a wrestler i remember thinking he's funny yeah and then the weird thing is nobody like in my family had like passed away Owen was like the first person I remember as someone who passed away. And of course, I don't know him personally, but the, the thing is with like, especially WWE, I was going to say TV, but WWE. You feel like you do, yeah. Yeah, you see him week in, week out. It feels like you have that connection. And then one of our video games like would actually have a tribute as the game starts every time and say, Owen James Hart. And then I saw OJ there and I was like, okay, well, this is, OJ reminds me of me because I'm Okuabasi Jr. I'll do Owen James would be like the sentimental thing in my head, Michael Oku. So OJMO was kind of like where I came with name. And for the longest time, I never said what it was because there were just four stupid letters put together. I was like, it just sounds cool, doesn't it? The OJMO, doesn't it? Yeah, and I, I never said it. <laughs> I, eventually, I was like, you know what? I just might as well just say it. It'll be cool if people know. So um, yeah, that's where it came from. Um, and that's what I kind of started off with in, in my wrestling career, using that name. I love it. It's all of those Nigerian names. I was just uh, with uh, Giannis Atentacumbo from the Milwaukee Bucks this oh. weekend. It's like, oh my gosh. So your real last name is Oku. So Oku Abasi. That's my first name. And then Oku, just short, is the actual surname. So your actual name is Oku Abasi Oku. Yes. Yes. A double. 
a double Oku. It's a double double. It's a double double. It's funny because because when I when I first saw your name that we were wrestling, I, I thought you might be a Japanese guy. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen that. I've seen that. That like a lot of Japanese. It's a Japanese word or it's a Japanese name. And yeah, Oku. Japanese wrestlers they know how to pronounce it easily. <laughs> they're, they're ready to pronounce the name. No problem. So as we start to wind down here, Michael, um, what what is your uh, goals for twenty twenty three? I mean, you had a, a great beginning for sure. Right. Of course. So that's. I'm a big like believer in momentum and just like I really want, especially in wrestling, I want to unapologetically like use this momentum that I've got from the start of the year. Sure. And continue that to the end of 2023 and see which new places I can get to. Having that taste of PWG makes me A, want to go back there when they do another show later on in the year, but also all of America. I want to see if there's more places I can like step foot in in America. Like there's so many cool indie promotions. Right. The Fire in Seattle, I know like is a real good one. There's a new one called Deadlock Pro, which has got like a good following. And I'm just trying my best to like see like where I can get to West Coast Pro, Black Label Play. I've heard of all these good names and good places. But I want to try and see if I can like be seen more in America and like get over more in America. I feel like I'm I'm a very popular person in the UK. Doing that PWG, it felt like a new challenge to like get over again, which is exciting to me. Mm-hmm. So I want to try and, and achieve that. And then in terms of like places, other places to wrestle, I'll just go out and say it. AW is coming to London and I am a London wrestler and I'm trying to do everything in my power to see if I can get some kind of opportunity there. If the stars align, that'll be a cool place to, to say that I wrestle that. because And at, and at this point, I think anything is possible. I'd have to tell myself anything is possible because I wouldn't, if you said who are your dream opponents last year and if I said Chris Jericho, you'd be like, okay, all right, whatever. <laughs> but now I think that anything's possible. I might as well just say that like AEW would be a big thing and then hopefully maybe this year or next year, I'd also like to wrestle for New Japan in Japan. So are you talking about like AEW in London, like doing like a dark match or elevation match or something like that? At this point, I, I don't know. Like as in, I don't, Either way, like I'm ready for for either. Like in my head, I said again, me being pessimistic, I'll be like, oh yeah, I can get on dark elevation quickly for five minutes. But at this point, like I, I I'm not going to count myself out and say like that's the most I can get done. Because that's that you got that. That's easy. You'll you'll be on the show for sure. No problem. I'll guarantee you that. Let's I've let's cross fingers. <laughs> okay. oh, no, no, I'll, I'll guarantee you. I'll, no problem at all. You, that's easy. That's easy to do. Done. Done deal. There it is. That's official. That's a clickbait. It's true. It's true. That's a clickbait. Last question for you. What's your favorite match that you ever had? It would be the wheel match. I guess it would have to be. One of my favorite things about it was, I've spoken so much about it, but the things that we did in the match, it was only when I came back through the curtain, it said that we went 41 minutes. Jeez, that's great. It didn't feel like 41 minutes. And it didn't feel like there was like fluff or waffle. It felt like everything that was in the match needed to be there. And it flew by. And I think fans who were there in attendance or watched it back feel the same thing. They were like, it did not feel like 41 minutes. If there's one that I'm like, hey, you want to see what I'm about? You want to see me wrestle? That's the one I would point to. If there's a if there's a second one, because again, if most people that know me, they'll know me from that match. You know what? I'm, I might have to put the Takashita match. I haven't seen it back. I haven't watched it back. So it's just a feeling. I might watch it back and be like, oh, no, no, I changed my mind. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> The feeling that that match gave me with Takeshita, they couldn't have gone better, in my opinion. It felt perfect. As a wrestler, I felt like I couldn't have gone any better. So th- that those would be the two that I would like say, hey, this is what I'm about. 
It's amazing to me that, like, I think PWG still does the model of, I don't know, they do Blu-rays or whatever the hell they do. It's like, if that thing would have been on, like, Fight TV, they probably would have had, you know, 5,000 people would have checked it out by now with all the stuff that we had. That's, I, I keep arguing that in my head. I'm like, but that, I guess that's part of the charm. Yeah, yeah. It makes up, there's, like, people that came from around the world to Bola, and I think they do it for even any PWG show, let alone Bola. Yeah. And you could argue maybe they wouldn't do that if, you know, you could watch it live on Fight TV from, Good like, point. your toilet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, man. Well, it's great uh, meeting up with you. It was awesome being in the ring with you, and I uh, look forward to seeing you again uh, when we come to London. Your book, brother. <laughs> oh, thank you, Chris. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. All right. Cheers, man.